the kingdom belongs to his sheep and your life is in the hands of a God who never sleeps fear not little lamb for the kingdom belongs to his sheep and your life is in the hands of a God who Welcome back to Tending Lambs. I'm Katie. And I'm Abby. And this week, we are talking about how to talk to your kids about sin. Uh, This actually comes up a lot in our group, how to introduce the subject of sin uh, versus just things that are developmentally appropriate. And we talk about that a lot in gentle parenting, you know, that certain things are uh, developmentally appropriate, you know, having proper expectations for their age. But it's also important that we know how to talk to our kids about sin. It's important that we know that we need to talk to them about sin. And how do we do that and balance that with their natural development as well? So, um, yeah, let's uh, dive right in. Yeah, so I think the main reason we decided to tackle this topic is because I think a lot of times or sometimes in gentle parenting circles, um, it can seem a little undermined maybe that our kids have sinful natures, that um, they have sinful or fleshly desires, uh, just like the rest of us. You know, and I'm really thankful that a lot of gentle parenters focus on how to help, like we talked about last week, setting our kids up for success and things like that. But mm-hmm. You know, I think sometimes maybe the focus, because we focus so much on that, it can seem like we don't address sin enough. And maybe sometimes we legitimately don't address sin enough. And focusing on developmentally normal or appropriate behavior doesn't mean that our kids don't sin. It's not all that they are tired or hungry or have a need. It's oftentimes nuanced combination of all of the above, but there's still sin involved usually. Right. And I think sometimes too, especially as they get older and they are becoming more aware and uh, becoming, you know, developing more self-control and becoming much more intentional about their actions. And of course, like anybody, even as you, you know, become a teenager and stuff, you, you still aren't fully developed, so to speak, biologically. But there becomes more and more room for actual sin. Yeah. And it's important that we build this into our um, vocabulary and just, you know, the gospel and why we need Jesus and those types of things. So as they get older, they, and, and the opportunity for these talks arises more and more uh, that it's not uh, something that is just, focused solely on like when they do something bad, but it's just part of how it's part of how they understand life. Right. You know, I think uh, it reminds me a lot of how Dr. Dan Siegel and the whole brain child talks about teaching your child about their brain and how to integrate their brain, not just doing the exercises with them or kind of trying to trick them into it, but be honest Mm -hmm. with them about what you're doing. Like, Hey, your brain is not regulated right now and we need to get it back on track. Let's do that Mm -hmm. together. 
I think sin can be a very similar thing. Like, Hey, this isn't right right now. We need to, we need to work on this together. We all sin, but you know, uh, what, what can we do to help you through this or what have you? And I think just natural conversations about sin and repentance in a very age appropriate and non-judgmental way in a sense. Um, and we'll yeah. get more into that later, but I think mainly there are two extremes. Punitive circles, I think, tend to be more heavy-handed and condemning about sin. I wrote down a quote from Shepherding a Child's Heart that I think illustrates this uh, point pretty pointedly. It says, since it is the Godward orientation of your child's heart that determines his response to life, you may never conclude that his problems are simply a lack of maturity. Selfishness is not outgrown. Rebellion against authority is not outgrown. These things are not outgrown because they are not reflective of immaturity, but rather of the idolatry of your child's heart. Wow. Yeah. So I just thought that quote pretty clearly (laughs) illustrates what we're talking about. Honestly, a lot of selfishness is outgrown. (laughs) It just is. Toddlers are selfish little people. It's a it's a defense mechanism. It's a primal response to a need for basic human survival. (laughs) I don't know how else to put it. Like it is, it just is outgrown. In addition to being like a primal instinct to need to defend yourself and to need to think about what what you're getting, Mm -hmm. uh, it's also that babies don't have any concept and they haven't developed the ability to empathize. They don't have any way to to identify with or understand that the other person is their own separate being. They don't have the self-awareness for that. And that slowly develops over time. But especially when they're two and three years old, that is when the reason they're so very independent is because it's starting to Mm -hmm. develop. They're starting to realize each person is their own entity and I Mm -hmm. am my own entity. And so that's really where where the ability begins to um to sprout but it's not fully grown yet you know they're just now starting to realize it yeah yeah i think you know this is so multifaceted because a lot of it is children can't communicate when my 1 year old is screaming she doesn't she can't respond to me saying calm down. I'm fixing your lunch. I promise it'll be here soon. She doesn't know what that means. She just knows I'm hungry and I need to let someone know that I'm hungry so that I don't die. (laughs) You know, I think the other part of this though, is that sometimes honestly in punitive circles, a lot of things that are not sin, a lot of things that are normal childhood behavior are seen as sin. Like you were saying, Katie, about Uh, children coming into their autonomy and realizing that they are their own entity, a lot of times that is characterized by them saying no a lot. Mm -hmm. And I just honestly don't see no as sin. I just don't. I see it as normal childhood behavior that a child is realizing that, wow, I can say no. And the funny thing is, I think a lot of times kids say no when they don't even mean it. And I think parents can feel very threatened by that. But I remember uh, reading a story about how, it actually may have been Janet Lansbury, talking about, you know, how a lot of times when her kids were little, she would say, do you want to go get ice cream? And they would say, no. 
And it's like, okay, obviously your kid wants to go get ice cream. And then, you know, they would pull into the ice cream parlor and everyone would hop out of the vehicle very happily and get their ice cream. So no, in that instance is just the testing of, wow, if I say this, other people respond to it and I may have the ability to like change what happens with my words. That's exciting. Right. Yeah. Um, the scientist in them. Yeah, really exactly. Yeah. yeah. And even as they get older, you know, it's not just a, um, a toddler thing, even as teenagers get older and it's kind of like a rehashing of what they went through in toddlerhood, this realizing I am my own person. I can have my own opinions. I can have my own ideas. Uh, it manifests in their own music. That's so often like the opposite of what their parents loved, which is funny because then later they end up, you know, we all end up kind of loving what we grew up listening to with our parents. But when we're teenagers, we've got to listen to our own thing. and mm-hmm. We've got to dress the way we want to dress. And we've got to, you know, be friends with people that our parents don't like. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's, because they are pushing back against their parents' desires mm-hmm. does not mean that they're in sin. That, you know, they may yeah. be in sin. Necessarily, they, yeah. Right, right. They may be in sin. They may be sneaking out with their boyfriend at night. They, you know, they may be doing all sorts of things that they shouldn't be doing. But them pushing back is not necessarily sin. Yeah. Uh, it's just what anybody does when they have something that they need to say. Yeah. Or feeling, you know, I think that's a great example too, because teenagers, it is a very similar, although of course more extreme version of this developmental stage where you need to be your own person. And I think coming into that with a healthy view on what is sin and what is just a matter of preference and trying yeah. to find their place in the world um, can save a lot of heartache. Yeah. And like in our, you know, it's not all about obedience episode is, you know, trying not to turn everything into, into an obedience issue. Yeah. You know, if you aren't giving them orders at every second of every day about every single thing that they're trying to do, you know, then it's not going to be an obedience issue. Then it's just going to be them, you know, expressing their preferences. Mm -hmm. You don't have to make it about obedience. Right. Yeah. The other side of this, I think, is is the more permissive side, which is probably the side that we're more prone to seeing in gentle parenting circles is the underemphasis or denial of their their children being sinners. One thing that was kind of interesting, uh, Alana, one of our group admins, posted uh, in the group a few weeks ago, something that we as team members all really disagreed with. It was this graphic from a gentle uh, parenting page that said, it is never the child. It's either the environment that needs adjusting, proper supports needing to be put in place, expectations that that need to be adjusted. Let me repeat, it is never the child. And we all really disagreed with that. No. Your child does sin. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it is your child sometimes. It is your child sometimes. <laughs> and see, th- some people were coming back with this uh, to this, and I understand w- their perspective and what they were saying. And it, they were trying to say, well, if it's about your reaction to them, if it's about your, tr- you know, if you're acting triggered and you're screaming and you're spanking and you're doing these things, it's not your child's fault. 
Mm-hmm. And that's true. But that's not what the graphic is expressing. The graph is, graphic is expressing that it's the circumstances that need to change to help your child, you know, behave in whatever way that they need to behave. It's yeah. the circumstances that need to change. And that's just simply not the truth. And that's, that's honestly just too heavy of a burden. Mm-hmm. You, you are not, you cannot make the circumstances around your child so perfect that they are never going to sin. Mm-hmm. You will sin against your children. You will do things that are not sin against your children, but that make them very uncomfortable and it makes them want to respond sinfully. You Sometimes they will just sin because of, you know, because they just do and everybody does it at points. And it's not your responsibility to take every situation and say, oh, that was my fault. I didn't set them up perfectly for success. They could have not sinned if I had just done blank. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, I think what's interesting about that is just the same way that we say, like, you can't beat sin out of your child. You can't rod sin out of your child. You also can't gentle parent sin out of your child. And I really appreciated what one commenter, I forget, I forgot who it was on that post said that if it's never your child sinning, then it's also never your child doing good things either. It's just I th- a happenstance of their environment, basically. Yeah. I think that was Aaron McCoy that said that. Yeah, I thought that was a great point. Absolutely right. Because you completely strip their autonomy and their ability to make their own decisions if you have this perspective that right. nothing wrong that they do is ever their fault. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I think that that idea just goes against gentle parenting philosophy 101. Um, if yeah. our kids aren't sinning, then what consequences do they need to face? Like one of the one of the foundational elements of gentle parenting is helping your children learn that their actions have consequences, good or bad, for better or worse. And, and they're so, responsible for their actions. Exactly. And you, you don't face consequences usually for things you're not responsible for. Or you shouldn't, you know. So I don't know. I just, I just think that actually, even though it seems like a popular mantra in a lot of gentle parenting circles, it, it, if taken to an extreme, it actually goes against our very founding principles. Yeah. And, you know, that they're responsible for their actions. It, we're not talking about with a, you know, 13 month old here right. that you can show them cause and effect. Yeah. You can show them that their actions have consequences and, and just slowly build up their awareness of that, you know, that they don't really understand at that age. So you're not trying to teach them constantly, you know, that their actions have consequences. They will learn that as you go. Um, but it is really important that you have a philosophy that says you are responsible for your actions. Okay. So what are some practical ways that can help our listeners feel comfortable with talking to their kids about sin? Well, one of the ways, one of the best ways that you can talk to anybody about sin is to um, use yourself as an example. So, you know, Paul set the example of doing this in 1 Timothy 1, um, verses 12 through 15, uh, when he said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me, that he considered me faithful and appointed me to service. 
I was formerly a blasphemer, a, a persecutor, and a violent man. Yet because I had acted in ignorance and unbelief, I was shown mercy. And the grace of our Lord overflowed to me, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And that is a really good little section of verses there to, to uh, model how we talk to our kids or anybody about sin. Mm -hmm. um, because it just so effortlessly flows right into the gospel. Mm -hmm. And it's not a blaming. It's not a, you're such a horrible sinner for doing all of this. It's really true that there are people that really, really harp on this. And I just think that is an exacerbating way mm -hmm. to approach this, that it's a much more, it's a much more connecting way to approach the gospel and their sin. Uh, not that anyone is going to enjoy hearing about their sin. No. But I think, I don't think you have to be offensive about it. No. Yeah. Sin is offensive enough by itself. Right. So I just also think about how I want to be approached when I'm in sin. Oh yeah. Um, and it's usually not being beat over the head with it. Uh, no. Usually I say usually, <laughs> if I am confronted with sin in a very humble and kind way, like I'm concerned about this in your life. Can we talk about this? Listen, I've struggled to really understand the struggle with sin. Yeah. I am much more open to hearing about maybe the repentance that I need to see in my own life. Then right. if someone just approaches me and is like, you are a filthy, dirty sinner and you need to repent. Like right. that's not really, they might be right, you know, but um, <laughs> that's not really a very kind or Christ-like way even to confront someone on their sin. Yeah. I think about Clay Clarkson. He does such a great job of talking about this in heartfelt discipline he talks about how our job as parents is to till the soil of our children's hearts to soften it towards the gospel, towards the seed of the gospel. And I think that that happens in conversations like these. I think that the softening or hardening of our children's hearts towards the gospel does. It happens in these conversations. And so our tone and our humble or prideful approach to this can really play a part in that process. Yeah. And I think if you're approaching it from the standpoint almost of a challenge mm -hmm. that you're trying to talk your kid into understanding the depth of their sin or mm -hmm. that they love their sin or that this and this and this, like that is just a really, what, what I find to be an, a relatively ineffective way to have them be open to, to what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, as Christian parents, it's incumbent upon us to teach our kids uh, God's word. And that includes what the Bible says about sin, 100%. Right. But I think the tone and approach that we take to that can really make or break these conversations. Yeah. And, you know, even if they grow up to uh, understand these things, um, you may not have the relationship that you really desire with your kids. You know, and, and God, you know, is going to save them or they are going to come to faith 
despite you or, you know, because of the, the things that you've said that God has used in their life to, to, to bring them about to faith, but people come to faith who've had abusive parents as well. Yeah. You know, and um, just because a child comes to faith at some point in their life uh, does not validate the way that you've treated them. Yes. Yes. Um, that is so true. I it's, think that I really like that saying kind of in spite of you, <laughs> almost yeah, it, not because of you. Yeah. Yeah. And it really, and it really can be. And that's unfortunate. That's hard to hear as parents. That's hard for me to hear that there are things that I'm going to eventually do. There are patterns in my life that I'm not as aware of. There are things that I'm going to teach Calvin unwittingly that uh, if he does come to faith, it will be in spite of those things. Mm-hmm. And that sucks to think about, you know, I, I yeah. kind of sucks to think about the conversations that when he's an adult and he says, you know, mom, this really hurt me. Or, you know, I really didn't appreciate the way you did this and this, like that will hurt. Mm-hmm. But I think it is important to remember that the relationship with your children is not just about conveying their sin to them. Yeah. Like you're not just there to teach them about God. You're there to nurture them. You're there to uh, love on them. You're there to teach them in a way that, you know, hopefully helps soften their heart. Yeah. Yeah. You know, throughout the day, um, there will always be opportunities to talk uh, with our kids about sin and the gospel. Um, Sometimes it'll be in the wake of a big fallout, a big one, you know, they've been caught lying or stealing or what have you for the fifth and biggest time or what it, whatever it is. But sometimes it's just throughout conversation um, at dinner or before bed, maybe during prayers or when they're concerned about something. There's really no need to hammer home how sinful your kids are at every turn and opportunity. Usually kids have a pretty good sense of right and wrong. Um, and so I think the best thing that we can do is relax on that, converse about it with them when we have the opportunity, model uh, repentance and forgiveness for your own sin, and then teach them God's word and share the gospel with them regularly. You know, don't, don't teach them about sin without giving them hope. And, and we will get into that in a bit. I wanted to read Deuteronomy eleven nineteen because I think it really, it really is a home run on this front. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Um, And I think that's just a poetic way of saying, make this a way of life. You know, bind them to your heart. Model them to your children. Don't, Don't wait to have one big conversation when they have a really big sin in their life, like prepare them for it. Yeah. And I just think that's the most natural way to go about it in the context of a loving and nurturing relationship. Yeah. The second thing, the second point in how to talk to your kids about their sin would be to explain kindly that even when we're hungry or tired or whatever the case may be, the best thing is to try and ask for help instead of doing something sinful that we regret. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is really in line with helping them or helping set them up for success. 
you just never underestimate the power of a good nap, you know, <laughs> snack. Uh, you know, it reminds me of that uh, that tweet that went around um, a, a few times. It was so funny. Uh, do you know what you have the one? I think you have it on your computer. Yeah, I pulled it up. It was actually Joy Clarkson, who I th- I believe is um, Clay and Sally Clarkson's daughter. Um, oh, nice. She said, this is your gentle reminder that one time in the Bible, Elijah was like, God, I'm so mad. I want to die. So God said, here's some food. Why don't you have a nap? So Elijah slept, ate, and decided things weren't so bad. Never underestimate the spiritual power of a nap and a snack. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know everyone like I saw that so many times yeah I did too all my news. It, it really resonates with people because we all know that that's the case so yeah. I think that it's really important to you know not only help your kids by setting them up for success yourself in this mm-hmm. regard but also teaching them to do it for themselves and you know, like reminding them hey you can get a snack right now. You seem a little bit upset and I bet it's because you haven't eaten in a long time or, hey, you know what? Let's rest. Right. (laughs) And I just want to add a caveat. I know we touched on this already, but this is all preemptive trying to help your kids, setting them up for success. However, their behavior, their response to trying situations is really not your responsibility. So we try to help them but we don't need to take responsibility when they don't respond well to whatever situation they may be. Yeah. Right. I think that's a really good reminder that, you know, even though we've said it already, it's just so easy to forget when we're going through these things and we're thinking about all of our responsibilities and all of the things we have to remember as parents. Um, And it can really start to feel like a a really heavy burden to remember that, you know, the Lord is sovereign and uh, you are not in control of anyone else. And that's one of the the big things about GP. You know, we're not in control of our kids. We can't control their hearts, control their actions. Um, So that's a really important thing to remember too, as you're sharing, um, sharing the gospel with them and sharing the, uh, you know, just talking with them about sin. Yeah. Yeah. Another kind of related point is that whether or not our children's actions are sinful, it actually doesn't change our approach in gentle parenting. We help set them up for success physically and emotionally. Uh, We work through the underlying issue. We talk to them about solutions and then encourage them to make right what may have gone wrong. So regardless of whether the situation was sin or lack of development or any kind of combination of all of these different factors, our approach is consistent and the same. Yeah, and I think one of the really, really important things about that is that since our sin is so much more than just wrong physical action, like, oh, you hit your brother, mm-hmm. um, it, and it always starts in our hearts, to focus on the sin only in moments when they're, they've obviously done something wrong or to talk about it in those, way, those, those terms, like uh, to only, uh, when you're talking about sin, to only mention you know, when you hit your brother. Um, Although that's one thing, one example you can use, but this kind of thinking can really distort things for them. If it's only ever just about the outward uh, actions, because, you know, a lot of people do the right things for the wrong reasons. 
And yeah. so if you're constantly focusing on like, aha, you see, you did that. And that's, that's sinful. Remember you're sinful and Jesus died for that, but you're sinful. You know, if you're constantly like berating their actions, then you're, you're setting them up to be really surface level mm-hmm. and to be a real rule follower, but not uh, understand the heart issue. Right. Along with that, and while still presenting the caveat that we aren't ultimately responsible for our children's sin, um, is helping them avoid situations in which they may be tempted to sin. So I think Janet Lansbury is the perfect example of this. If if you see that they're about to strike someone, or if they are building up to it, you kind of see, I can kind of tell now when my daughter's about to bite me, just holding her back, or holding her hands, or removing her from my face so that she can't bite me and saying, you know, I won't let you bite me. I won't let you hit your sister. Fill in the gap. Help them not sin. That doesn't make you responsible for their sin. It helps you help them avoid the temptation. And that is just something, that's just a kindness that we can offer them as a brother or sister in Christ, as our child. Yeah. Not that Evie biting you right now is sin. right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Just as an example of in the same way, kind of what we were talking about consistency, whether it's sin or not in our approach in the same way that I help Evie not do something that I don't want her to do. We can also help our kids avoid a situation in which they would be sinning. Yeah. And And I I think think that's actually the perfect example of how our approach is the same, whether we know that it's sin or not. Right. I think, uh, you know, it's just important to remember that in all of this, you are teaching them also how to do these things for themselves. Yeah, That's really, really important that you're not just doing these for the things for them, that you're not just locking them in their bed, like clearly not, but you're not just locking them in their bedroom to keep them from sinful situations. Mm-hmm. The really important thing to remember and to try and, you know, um, in the way that you're in ways that best fit your family, teach them how to avoid these situations themselves and why. Okay. So fourth and most importantly, uh, is sharing the gospel with your kids. And like the verses I read, this is a daily, all the time, occurrence as it comes up, when you sit, when you rise, when you go to bed. So a lot of times after tensions have died down um, and there's kind of that sensitive period where you're working through what happened together, there's often a perfect moment to share your own weakness, to be open with them about how sometimes you sin too, about how everyone sins. And that's why we need Jesus. That's the point of the cross for the big sins and the little sins, for the ones that mama sees and the ones that mama doesn't see. Um, Because our sins don't just harm the people that we've sinned against. They offend a holy God as well. And thankfully, Jesus made a way for us to be right with God. Kind of like when we forgive each other and we're good with each other again. Jesus has made a way for us to be reconciled to God. Yeah, and I think that this point cannot be made emphatically enough like how important it is that we're not just talking to our kids about their sin and we're not just using 
um, you know, external examples, but we're talking about just how holy our God is and how much we've grieved him at certain points and how beautiful of a thing it is that Jesus made a way because there was just no way for us to make up for the things that we've done because God is so holy. You know, that, that, that kind of mentality being raised with understanding the gospel that way and how big of a thing it is, is so, so important. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you can be really heavy handed with, or people can be really heavy handed with sin or completely like there is no talk of sin. And both of those just completely um, devastate the message of the gospel. I think if you are not sharing with your kids about their sin, they're never going to understand the weight of grace Mm -hmm. and the, and the importance of it. Yeah. And I kind of think that's what we're trying to address in this episode is that there's no need to swing to either extreme on this topic. Um, some people speak to their children about sin as if their children were adults and use very condemning language that really no, serves no purpose but to alienate and cause their child immense self-esteem issues to where kind of like I was talking about that hard soil where they, you're, not, you're not helping to till the soil of their hearts to prepare them to hear the good news of the gospel. You're just, your words are just serving to ha- continue to harden their hearts towards it. But on the other hand, you have people who maybe don't talk about it at all or downplay the importance of sin in light of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, Neither one is good. The first heaps condemnation on your child, on your child's head and doesn't soften their heart to hear the gospel. And the second eliminates your child's need for the gospel at all as Christ died for our sins. And I think in that way too, uh, Especially when you harp on sin, you know, not explaining sin enough has its own challenges and has its own draw, like obviously drawbacks, but harping too much on sin can really begin to over spiritualize things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, there are some things we, we, we try and live according to the to God's word because it's God's word but we always we also just want to treat each other well you know we just want to be nice to each other because it makes life easier for everybody and because it's just enjoy, more enjoyable that way because we can build better relationships that way it's just nice you know and sometimes things really are just hey that was really unkind of you can you um you know come over here and let's talk talk about it or you know, I really don't like the way you're acting right now. It's hurting my feelings. So I'm going to take a minute. I'll be here if you want to talk, but um, I'm not going to listen to you scream in my face like this. You know, those types of things, even if it is sin, you don't always have to make it about about sin in the moment. Because there is the option, there is the possibility that you can just behave correctly. And if you're always putting it in terms of like, well, you're a sinner and you'll never be good enough, then, you know, in a kid's mind, then, okay, fine. Then I won't do anything right. Then Mm -hmm. I'll just rebel completely. Mm -hmm. Right. So just to reiterate, um, 
one, use yourself as an example, <laughs> kind of view yourself as the chief among sinners approaching your children and be humble enough to use your own life as an example of why we as people need the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Number two, explain that even when our circumstances aren't perfect, we're tired and hungry, the best thing to do is to ask for help instead of doing something sinful. Try to redirect that energy to asking mama for help. Number three, help your children not sin. Give them opportunities, hold them back from sinning, set them up for success like we talked about last week, and teach them how to do those things for themselves as they're able to gain more self-control. Encourage them to control their behavior to the best of their ability. And number four, of course, share the gospel with them at every opportunity that you have throughout the day. So we hope this episode has been helpful to you. Um, We really enjoyed talking about it ourselves and um, evaluating how we can share the gospel with our own children better in our lives. So we will talk to you next week. Thanks so much for listening to Tending Lambs. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please join our Facebook group, Tending Lambs Community Group. You can follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash tendinglambs, and find the show notes page and lots of other gentle parenting resources at our website, tendinglambs.com. Until next time. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. It said, it said, you are muted by host. And I was, and I literally went, Hey, you muted me. Did you mean to do that? (laughs) I was like, what, like, what the heck? Why is she not unmuting me?